name is Natalie and this seminar, just in case you might be in the wrong place, is called Love Mercy and it's about what does it really mean to love mercy, uh, what does it mean to have God's heart for the broken, for the poor, for people who we may not naturally find it easy to have God's heart for. So I'm hoping we're going to have a really good time. Um, before I get going, I'll just pray if that's all right. Um, yeah, Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to speak on this subject. I thank you that your heart is full of mercy towards us. Thank you that you are a merciful, gracious, generous, compassionate God. And we just ask that you would speak into our hearts this afternoon. I pray that you would um, have your way with us, say whatever you want to say, that you would help us to align our hearts more closely with your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so just to tell you a little bit about me, for those of you who don't know me, um, I live in Hastings down on the southeast coast. My fan club's here. <laughs> um, I used to be a journalist, so that's what I qualified as. That's what I worked as for a while. Um, then I worked for an organisation that involved the police, uh, the local council, the fire brigade, different organisations like that. And while I was doing that job, I was aware that the police and the council that were often asking how do we solve some of the problems in our community that are to do with the most broken and the poorest um how do we solve problems that are to do with crime and antisocial behavior and that sort of thing and their solutions seemed to be the same year in year out even though they hadn't necessarily worked the year before so i think that for me was when god started to really um, put in my heart something of this question of well what role has the church got to play in this why aren't these organizations asking what has the church got to say has the church got any answers has the church got anything different that we could try that might actually work and solve some of these problems in our communities and they never I worked there for seven years and they never asked that question about the church and I found it quite frustrating I thought they should be asking but I also thought why why is it what isn't the church doing or what is the church doing wrong maybe that we're not seen as the place that may have the answers to a lot of the problems in society and a lot of the brokenness in society. And um, I think things have moved on quite a lot in the last few years. So in the last five years or so, as more of our churches are doing things like food banks and debt advice and soup kitchens and night shelters and all those sorts of things, the more we're doing them, the more the people around us who make decisions that affect our towns and cities are wondering, well, maybe the church does have something to offer. Maybe Christians do have something to say about poverty and brokenness in our communities. So that's really when God started taking me on this journey of, of what is his heart for the broken and getting some of his heart for people who perhaps naturally I wouldn't have a heart for. Um, so I now work for King's Church in Hastings. Um, I oversee all our communications activity, like the website and Twitter and all that sort of stuff, and also our social action projects. So all of our projects that reach out into the community, particularly to help the poorest. Um, that's part of my role for the church. I also work for an organisation called Jubilee Plus, and that was set up by New Frontiers um, to help all of our churches across the UK to make a difference in their communities, particularly to the most vulnerable. So particularly to the poorest and to the broken in our communities. So we go across the country helping churches, training. Uh, we run an annual conference. There are some flyers up here. That's in October um, in Darlington. So you can pick up a flyer at the end if you want one. Um, we write books, we do research. And so there's all sorts of things that we're doing to try and help churches and Christians really engage with the poorest in their communities. And speaking at events like this is part of what we do too. So I'm really thrilled to be here. I'm glad I have the privilege. Just travelled up today um, to be with you guys and to share um, something that God's been putting on my heart for some time.
really. So what we're going to look at is what does it mean to love mercy? Because in Micah 6, verse 8, in the Old Testament, it says, what does the Lord your God require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And I remember reading that probably um, about a year ago now. Uh, Not for the first time, I was very familiar with that scripture, but I read it and I suddenly thought, why does God need to tell his people to love mercy? Because it just seems like such an obvious thing. Like, we're all Christians here, most of us probably are at least, um, and if I said, do you love mercy? Probably we'd all go, yeah, of course I do, because God's shown mercy to me, of course I love it. You know, the verses in the Bible that tell us things that, like, God is rich in mercy, and in Lamentations where it says, God's mercies are new every morning, those are verses that kind of we stick on our fridges and we hold on to in difficult times they're they're verses I don't know about you but I absolutely love those verses I love the fact that God is absolutely rich in mercy so if I love the mercy that God has shown to me why does God need to tell his people to love mercy why does he need to tell us to do something that actually should come really naturally to us and that's hopefully what we're going to unpack some of in the next kind of 40 minutes or so and then we'll have a time of prayer at the end and then I'll be around for a bit if anyone's got any questions as well. So I just want to start by telling you um, a bit of a story about Mercy. So four and a half years ago, um, a friend of mine was cycling to work when she was hit by a lorry and killed. So the lorry driver was reversing round a corner. He didn't see her. She was on like a, she was just cycling. He didn't see her. He ran over her and she died. And the lorry driver was taken to, you know, he was arrested. Um, he was charged with death, uh, causing death by dangerous driving. And in the court case, he was found guilty. I mean, he pleaded guilty. Um, he knew that he'd done it. He felt remorseful for what he'd done. But the judge said to him, um, I am going to have to give you a prison sentence. Um, sounds like we're going to get blown away, doesn't it? Um, but yeah, so the judge said to him, I'm going to have to give you a prison sentence. Um, the the fact that he'd caused someone's death meant that really he did have to go to prison. So when sentencing came around, that was going to be a couple of weeks later. In the meantime, my friend's parents had written to the judge and said to the judge, will you please show mercy on the driver? Because if you send him to prison, it doesn't bring our daughter back. And, you know, we don't see any point in him going to prison. We don't see any point in this wrecking his life as well as um, as and as well as the loss of our daughter's life. So the judge on the day when it came to sentencing read out the letter that my friend's parents had written and he said, because of this, because they've asked me to be lenient with you, because they've asked me to show you mercy, I'm not going to send you to prison. So the guy, he lost his driving license, so there were consequences for his actions, but he didn't send him to prison because the parents said, will you please show mercy to him? And that um, event was covered by the national newspapers in our country. It was covered by the Oxford media where my friend lived because examples of mercy like that are really rare. Like even us as Christians, we hear a story like that. I don't know about you, but for me, I hear a story like that and think, I don't know if I'd do the same thing. I think if I had a child who'd been killed by someone who was admitting to driving dangerously, I'd probably want them punished. My desire for their punishment would probably be greater than my desire for mercy. But my friend's parents uh, were so aware of the mercy that God had shown them that they were able to extend mercy, even in their grief, even in their heartbreak, they were able to extend mercy to this guy. Um, So I think 
that's just one example for me of just seeing God's mercy, um, undeserved loving kindness in action and what it actually looks like to practically show it. And I think for me, I'm just aware that Jesus is the ultimate example of showing mercy. I think we all know this because we know the mercy that Jesus has shown to us. So let me give you um, some examples. I think the fact that Jesus started his ministry um, in Luke chapter 4, we read kind of Jesus laying out what his ministry is all about before he's really done anything. At this point, he's been baptized. He's been tempted in the desert. And then in Luke chapter 4, if you want to turn to it, you can, but I'll read it out anyway. Verses 4. 14 to 21, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And what Jesus is saying there, we know that when Jesus came to earth, there was a breaking in of heaven into earth. And that's demonstrated through signs and wonders. It's demonstrated through miracles. Um, It's demonstrated through Jesus being able to tell the waves to be still. But it's also demonstrated through good news coming to the poor, through captives being set free, through those who are imprisoned finding freedom, those who are blind finding their sight, not just physically blind, but spiritually blind as well. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That refers to a part of the Old Testament where um, God set down his laws and there was a year of the Lord's favour where every 50th year, if you found yourself in debt or if you'd had to sell yourself into slavery, you would be set free or your land would be returned to you so that you could start all over again. So the people who were hearing this at the time would have known that Jesus was referring to this, this time of freedom, this time of liberty, this time of the favour of God being upon people. But the key part of... This passage is what Jesus is saying is that when heaven breaks into earth, the poor and the broken are raised up out of their circumstances and out of their situations. And we see this time and time again through the stories that Jesus tells. So I'm sure most of you will be familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, where someone comes to Jesus and says, who's my neighbor? And the story that Jesus chooses to use to talk about that is... Um, of a guy walking from the road uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho who's beaten up, left for dead, and the religious people walk on by, but the Samaritan helps the guy. Now, it's interesting, um, Jesus specifically talks about the route that was taken, the fact that it was the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and the people that Jesus was talking to at the time would have known that that was a notoriously dangerous route to take, and that you'd have to be kind of foolish to walk that route on your own. I'm sure we all know where we live, certain roads that you know aren't safe to walk down especially at night or whatever and this road was the equivalent of that it was a steep hill going down of about 17 miles really rocky desert terrain and so it just wasn't safe place to be on your own But when Jesus tells the story of the good samaritan he never says that the guy walking who got beaten up should have known better than to walk down that path. Jesus just doesn't even refer to whether the guy was right or wrong to be in that place. All he tells us is what we're expected to do, what we're supposed to do. 
Um, so the neighbor, he says, was the one who had mercy on the guy who'd been beaten up. That's what Jesus says in answer when he says, well, who is my neighbor? When it tells me to love my neighbor, who is that? Jesus says, the neighbor to the man was the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus finishes that story by saying to his people, to his disciples, now go and do likewise. So there's a calling on us as the people of God to actually show the mercy of God. And that story is a prime example of where the person who fell into difficulty or fell into trouble may have got there through their own bad decision to walk down a route that wasn't safe. But Jesus doesn't say, let's think about whether they need your help, whether they deserve your help or not. He just says, if you see someone in front of you and they need help, then showing them mercy makes them your neighbor. They become your neighbor as you show them mercy. And I think... um, kind of one of the most stark places where Jesus talks about how we're supposed to treat people who are broken, who are in need, is in Matthew 25, where you know, Jesus tells the story of the people who knew him and the people who didn't. And he says that on that day, I'll say to you, kind of away from me, you never knew me because you didn't feed the hungry. You didn't give drink to the thirsty. You didn't clothe the naked. You didn't visit the prison or the prisoner or the sick. You didn't welcome the stranger. And it says that you know, people will turn around to Jesus and go, well, when, when did I not do that for you? And Jesus says, well, whenever you didn't do it for the least of these is when you didn't do it for me as well. So I think Jesus at his very heart is merciful. I think as we read the Gospels, we see this really clearly. When I first became a Christian, um, I thought there was a bit of a difference between the God of the Old Testament and Jesus. So I thought that God in the Old Testament was full of rules and regulations and, um, you know, just wiping people out when they didn't do as um, he asked them to do and telling his people to go and wipe other groups of people out. And um, then I thought Jesus came along and Jesus was kind, Jesus was compassionate. So I kind of thought that Jesus was like a fluffy version of God, if you like, that he was just kind of like, um, yeah, Jesus comes along and it's all like hugs and it's all um, kind of warm and fuzzy. But I think as we read the Bible, as we look back through the whole Bible, we see that God's always had a heart for the broken and God has always had a heart for the poor and it's everywhere we read from in Genesis you know the story of Joseph where his brothers selling him him into slavery and Joseph ends up in Egypt where he is able to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh and the purpose of that is so that food is stored away for a famine that's coming so that they won't starve to death over seven years. And when Joseph is reunited with his brothers and he provides food for them, it's actually so that the people of God wouldn't die out. It's so the people of God didn't starve to death. They come and get food for him. Uh, from Joseph and Joseph says it was God who sent me here ahead of you it was God's plan what you did for bad God has used it for good um, so that we wouldn't be wiped out so that we would be fed so right from Genesis there's a story of God's mercy to the poor to the hungry to those who are going to find themselves in a place of need and we read along every book of the Bible you go through and there are places where God is very clear about the fact that he has called his people to show kindness. Um, there are several parts when we read the law. Some of the books of the Bible that we find hardest to read, you know, like Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, some of those bits where we maybe skip past them because we don't find them as interesting as other parts of the Bible. I'm just being honest about what I do. I don't know about you. But in there we find actually there are many times where God has said to his people don't be tight-fisted 
but be open-handed towards people. Don't withhold wages from people who deserve it. When you lend someone money, don't charge them a load of interest on it. When you farm your fields, don't pick up every little bit of grain, but leave some behind for the poor and for the broken. So written into the very law of God, the bit that we read is just like sometimes looking at it and think it's just rules and regulations, built right into the heart of it, actually, is hope for the broken and hope for the poor and mercy and kindness and compassion. And so I think the more we look at the Bible, every section of it, whether it's um, kind of the prophets in the Old Testament, whether it's the Psalms, whether it's the Proverbs, uh, whether it's, you know, the beginning bit about the law, we see the mercy and compassion of God the Father. And then when we get to Jesus, like I said, he starts his whole ministry saying, I've come to bring good news to the poor. Um, The passage that he's quoting in Isaiah 61 says as well that I've come to bind up the brokenhearted. So God is intrinsically concerned with the poor and with the broken. And that's why he calls his people to be uh, and to do exactly the same as him. So I think some of the examples are like kind of the company that Jesus kept. Jesus seemed to spend a lot of his time and expend a lot of his energy with the people who were on the very margins of society, the people that no one else liked, the people that no one else was interested in. So he was perfectly comfortable to mix with both Jews, the people of God, and Gentiles, who were seen as not the people of God. Samaritans, who were despised by God's people, came to Jesus. They weren't excluded. Men and women both came to Jesus. Children seemed to receive special attention. You know, when he said to the disciples, don't make them go away. The kingdom belongs to such as these. So Jesus' mercy extended to the whole of humanity. Not everyone responded with gratitude. Not everyone responded with faith, but no one was turned away because of who they are or because of what they've done. And I think that's an absolutely crucial point that we see that prostitutes were happy to come to Jesus. Jesus didn't seem to shy away from being around prostitutes, from being around sinners. You know, it's what the religious people criticised him for, for the fact that he spent a lot of his time with sinners, the people who aren't like us. And I wonder today for us who the modern equivalent would be. Like, I wonder who would Jesus be spending his time with? You know, as we walk around a camp like New Day, there are some um, teenagers on site who won't be engaging with anything that goes on, who won't want to be meeting with God. Um, Maybe you've heard of Stonely Bible Week, which used to be held um, a few years ago before New Day. I was a backslidden Christian, and I used to go to that. Um, I think I went to it for like four or five years when I was backslidden. I don't really know why I went, except that God obviously had his hand on me. And so I wasn't really engaging with anything. And I think, actually, though, who is it that Jesus would be walking around the campsite looking for? Actually, his attention would be drawn to the broken, to those who feel like they can't engage with him because they've sinned too much or because they're too damaged or because some stuff's happened in their life that's just broken their heart or made them grief-stricken. I think Jesus would be wandering around the New Day campsite thinking, who, who is it I want to show mercy to? Who needs my mercy and my love and compassion the most? And I just wonder if we do the same. Because it's so easy for us. I'm exactly the same. It's so easy for us to hang out with the people that we know and like. And it's so easy for us to kind of stay in our kind of little group. And even if we see someone kind of sitting down by the side who looks like they're not engaging, I think often we're just afraid to go up and say, are you okay? Because sometimes we're afraid of the reaction. But what God calls us to is to go and show mercy and kindness and compassion. And that means if we go up to someone and say, hey, are you okay? And they tell us to get lost, that's okay you've still been obedient to God and gone up and tried to show kindness um, and compassion to someone. 
And I think we just see Jesus. He hung out with the beggars. He hung out with the lepers. He hung out with prostitutes. Actually, even the tax collectors... The tax collectors wouldn't have been poor people, but they would have been completely ostracized from community. They would have been um, left out, put out of community because tax collectors were taking money from their own people and giving it to the Roman government. So their own people, for you to be a tax collector was really... It's like we think about parking attendants, you know, people who give us parking tickets. They're sort of the people we want to avoid and we don't want to... You know, we think, how can you do that job when basically you're just charging people money just because they've tried to park quickly somewhere convenient? And for tax collectors would have been the same and yet Jesus hung out with these people. And it's not just that Jesus felt comfortable around them but they felt comfortable around him as well. And I think it just, it really challenges me to think, who are the people that I don't feel comfortable around? You know, I think there's a real challenge for us in our culture, in our society at the moment to think, do I feel comfortable hanging out with gay people? Do I feel comfortable hanging out with Muslims? Do I feel comfortable hanging out with people who are from a really poor background who just don't do the things I do or don't behave the way I do? Maybe I'm uncomfortable hanging out with really rich people. Maybe I'm uncomfortable hanging out with people who I think make loads of money at the expense of others. And again, I think when I see who Jesus hung out with, it's a real challenge to me to think, who, who am I afraid to hang out with? But who do I need to show the mercy of God to? And so I don't know about you, but yeah, it just feels, it feels challenging to me because not only did Jesus feel comfortable with these people, but they actually actively went and looked for him. They came and found him. They were happy. They knew, they'd heard enough about what Jesus was like. They knew enough about him that he didn't turn anyone away, that they were happy to go and find him and say, Jesus, I need you to do this for me, or I need you to do that for me. Uh, Another person Jesus spent time with, it says um, in Matthew 26 that he spent time at the home of a man known as Simon the leper. And I kind of love that because I think what a nickname to have Simon the leper I mean I think imagine if in your kind of church or youth group or whatever someone was called Simon the leper and they said do you want to come around for dinner how many of us would go oh yeah great straight away or how many of us would go oh I I don't know hopefully we'd all go yeah brilliant great I'd love to and why don't you come to me for dinner too but I know what goes on in my own heart often is that oh I don't know I'm not I'm not sure you're not like me you're different to me there's a bit of maybe fear in me that stops me from being happy to hang out with people who are different to me but Jesus showed mercy to everyone he encountered and it wasn't based on anything they'd done or they hadn't done it was just based on who he was and who he is and so I think for us as Christians that's the starting place for us when someone's in front of us and we ask the question of God do I need to show kindness to this person his answer is always going to be yes Because actually, we do it based on the kindness of Jesus. We do it based on who he is and who he's created us to be, not based on who the person in front of us is or what they may have done or may not have done. And Jesus didn't really put any conditions on his acts of mercy. I love the story of the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000, you know, where um, Jesus took the bread and the fish and he fed everyone there. He said to the disciples, distribute it among everyone here and there was enough left over um, that they had baskets of it left over that people didn't need to eat and I just love the fact that Jesus didn't say to the disciples before you give out the food why don't you just check out how many people here actually deserve it 
because some of the people who would have been sitting there listening to Jesus had been following him for ages and they would have known that he talked a lot and that probably food was going to be needed at some point and maybe they should have thought to bring a packed lunch. Um, It's like if you come to New Day for a week without any food or without your youth leaders providing any food for you, people could rightly say to you, well, didn't you know you were going to need to eat? But Jesus didn't say to his disciples, well, that group over there, they knew they should have bought some food. They've been around long enough. And he didn't say, that group over there, they've got enough money so they should go off and walk to the shops and they can go and get food for themselves. And he didn't say, that group over there, I think they've only come because they wanted to see a miracle, so they don't really deserve to see it anyway, so don't give it to them. He didn't say to his disciples, just pick which, do you deserve it, do you deserve it? But everyone was fed. And I'm not saying that we don't have to think carefully about how we help people. I think when people come to us in need, we do need to think, what is the best way I can help you? The best way isn't always giving someone money. It isn't always just saying, here's some food, and then next week, here's some more food, and then next week, here's some more food. There are ways we need to help people long term. But I think what God's been challenging me about for a long time is, but what happens in my heart first? Because I'm very quick to go to, well, I'm not sure whether this is the best way to help you, but I'm not so quick to go to actually quickly how can I show you mercy how can I show you kindness what goes on in my heart often is I'm I'm, I'm not sure I'm not sure if you need if you deserve help I'm not sure if you're going to be wise with what I give you so you know like if you see someone asking for money on the streets so often when we're deciding whether to give money to someone or not what we're thinking in our heads is I don't know what you're going to do with the money Like you may go and spend that on alcohol, you may go and spend it on drugs, you may spend it on cigarettes, maybe you'll feed your dog instead of yourself. We make all sorts of judgments straight away with the first question often in our heads is, I don't don't know if I give you money, what you're going to spend it on. Whereas I think the first question in our head should be, how can I most show you the mercy and love of Jesus today? And I think when that's our starting place, we start to react completely differently to people around us. It starts to, we start to feel challenged about our behavior before we want to challenge other people's behavior. And I think that's a key part of showing mercy is thinking, actually, what's my responsibility before God? So I was in San Francisco um, a couple of years ago and I'd been asking God to speak to me about his heart for the poor Um, because I was about to co-write a book on the subject and I really wanted to hear from God. I didn't just want to put my own ideas down. I wanted God to speak to me. And I was walking around San Francisco and just after I'd sort of said to God, well, I thought you were going to speak to me, but I haven't really heard anything from you and I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow. I bumped into this guy who was begging on the street, holding up a cardboard sign saying, why lie? I want beer. And I was like, wow, God, okay, I think you might want to speak to me through this guy because I thought, I don't know what to do because clearly I know if I give this guy money, he's going to spend it on beer. And so everything within me straight away going, I better not give him money. Um, But I thought what I'll do, because I'd just literally just a few minutes earlier been asking God to speak to me, is I thought, well, I better go and talk to this guy. So I went up to him and I said, hey, do you mind if I just ask you, like, what's your sign all about? Like, doesn't that put people off giving you money? And why, why have you written that? And the guy explained to me that for many, many years he'd been a crack cocaine addict um, and it had pretty much wrecked his life. He'd been in a relationship with a woman and they'd had a child together, but he'd not really been able to be in that child's life. And that child was now 16 years old and he'd really had no involvement in his son's life because drugs had just kind of ruined his ability to just be a stable parent and just to be an influence on his son. And I think the woman, was, the mum was just like, you're not, 
you know, you can't be around our child growing up unless you can kick the drugs. And the guy told me that he'd tried to get off drugs many, many times. And he said, he admitted he'd had help and he'd blown it every single time. They just you know he'd got clean for a while and then he'd come out and he'd taken drugs again and and he wasn't trying to hide the fact that it was his own choices he was pretty open about the fact that he'd made decisions along the way that had meant that he'd been a drug addict for many many years but then he said to me so basically I've I've now kicked crack cocaine but how I've done it is by becoming an alcoholic and he said I know that really I've just exchanged one drug if you like for another I know that, you know, for a lot of people, becoming an alcoholic wouldn't be any better. But it's like, for me, it is, it's much better because I actually can be a part of my son's life because I can have a drink. I don't have to get totally wrecked and I can actually go and have a relationship with my son and I'm allowed back in his life now. And for him, it was progress. For him, it was huge progress. It was a massive part of his journey where he'd struggled for years, well over a decade to kick drugs. And now he'd kicked it and... Yeah, he wasn't completely clean, he wasn't completely free, but he had made progress and he was working towards improving himself. And so he said to me, basically, I'm going to stand on the street with my sign today until I get $3. And once I've got $3, that'll be enough for a bottle of beer, a new magic marker so I can write my sign again tomorrow. And then I'll go and see my son. And when I heard his story, I thought, actually what I felt God provoking in me was compassion and mercy and a sense of having heard his story I just thought actually how can I not give you three dollars which actually is is relatively nothing to me like I wouldn't think twice about spending three dollars at all but so I gave it to him and I'm not saying that's always the right thing to do but in that context where I'd been asking God to speak to me, where I'd been saying to God, you know, I want to hear about your heart for the poor, and then suddenly this, there's this guy in front of me. And I think the main lesson that I took away from that isn't that you always give money to people in those circumstances, but it is that once you take the time to hear someone's story, you're much more likely to feel compassion and kindness towards them. You're much more likely to get something of God's heart for them because you're going to know the journey that they've been on and you're going to hear something of how tough life's been or just the different circumstances that they've been through. So one of the things I found that helps me to feel more merciful towards people is taking the time to just say, what is your story? Please tell me a bit more about um, who you are and what your background is. And... I think looking at Jesus, it's not just that Jesus accepted everyone who came to him, that he didn't exclude anyone, but it's also not even based on whether they thank him or not. And I think so often for us as Christians, if we do something um, kind or compassionate for someone in need or um, someone who's very broken, we often want to be thanked for it. And if someone doesn't thank us, I know what happens in my heart is quite quickly I can get a bit agitated by that. I know that if someone um, doesn't thank me, I can be like, oh, well, I'm not sure I should have done that then. Um, There's a woman who helps out at our food bank in Hastings, and she was just really honest with me and said that the thing that really winds her up is when people don't say thank you. When people walk into the food bank as if they've got a right to the food and then they take it and they don't say thank you. And she said, it makes me not want to give them food. It makes me want to take it back from them. But we don't see that with Jesus. So in Luke 17, there's an example of where Jesus heals 10 people. And it says that only one of them came back to thank him. We don't see Jesus running after the other nine, chasing them down, going, hang on a minute. If you're not going to thank me, then I'm taking the healing back. 
if you're not going to thank me, then you don't get to experience my mercy or grace. We don't see Jesus being preoccupied with how people respond. All we see is Jesus doing what comes naturally to him. It flows out of who he is. So Jesus went around healing people, showing kindness to people, feeding people, not based on whether they were grateful, not based on whether they would even respond in faith. That's their part of the decision. But we're called to be like Jesus and to act like Jesus and to show people kindness even if they don't thank us. And it's interesting, I find it really fascinating that even with the miracles that Jesus did, even with some of the real signs and wonders, um, even some of the power that Jesus showed, actually I've struggled to find an example of the power of Jesus that isn't also an act of his mercy towards people. So let me give you um, some examples. When the disciples were on the boat and they were afraid and the storm was raging, they went and woke Jesus up. Jesus wasn't worried about it. Jesus wasn't awake fretting about it. Jesus knew that it was going to be fine because he was in control of it and because his time to die hadn't come yet. So Jesus didn't calm the storm because they were in danger. He calmed the storm because they were afraid. So he calmed the storm for the sake of the disciples. It was a demonstration of his power, yes, but it was also an act of his mercy and kindness to the disciples. Um, When he fed the crowds, it says that he fed them because they were hungry. It's as simple as that. It doesn't say he fed them because he, he sort of spotted that someone had some fish and bread and thought, hey, this will be cool. I'll make this multiply to thousands of people. It just says he fed them because they were hungry. And even when he turned water into wine, um, you know, a story that many of us like, um, when he turned water into wine shows that Jesus wasn't afraid to be at a party and to enjoy a party. But actually the reason he did it, it says, is to spare the bridegroom's shame. Because the bridegroom ran out of wine and that would be a shameful thing to happen. It would be a huge embarrassment. It would be humiliating. And so Jesus did that, again, as an act of mercy to spare the the bridegroom. And so mercy was entwined in every miracle that Jesus performed. But it was also interwoven into every word that he spoke as well. So when Jesus warned that judgment was coming... He didn't do it in a kind of hellfire and brimstone, I'm going to yell and shout and scream at you. He did it as an act of mercy and compassion because he wanted to warn people of what was coming. But it tells us that he wept over the city. Um, His words were designed to shock people out of maybe their religious pride or their selfishness. But they were full of mercy because the purpose of Jesus' harsh words to people was always to draw them to himself. It was always to not just try and get them to change their behavior. Jesus wasn't after that. He was after their hearts. So we see um, Jesus' mercy in the things he said, in the acts of power that he did, and in the people that he hung out with. And in Luke six thirty-two to 36, Jesus said, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Um, and if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful." And so when Jesus is asking us to be merciful, it's, we're not supposed to be looking at the people around us. We're not supposed to be asking, do they deserve it or don't they deserve it? We're supposed to be looking up at God and being merciful because our Father in heaven is merciful. Actually, even in the Old Testament where 
Um, there were certain things put in place so that God's people would be kind and generous and compassionate. Um, there are two reasons that are given for it. One is because God is compassionate, and the other is because God has rescued you. So there are two reasons. When we're asking, should I show mercy to this person? In one sense, it doesn't matter what they've done, where they've come from, or who they are. The question, should I show mercy to this person, is fundamentally based on who God is and what he's done in our lives. So the answer is always yes. The answer to how we do it may be different, but the answer to do we do it is an absolute yes all the time, every single time. And I think there are people who it's really difficult to show mercy to. You know, in our culture, we're bombarded in the media with programs like Benefit Street and um, headlines like about um, people who are having their ninth child and they're on benefits and they're doing it deliberately to get a bigger house. And so it's easy for us to do what our society does and to do what culture and our media would have us do, which is look at someone's behaviour and say, I don't know if you deserve my help. I don't know if you're just after a free ride or you're just after money or you're just after this or that. But actually, our starting place as Christians is supposed to be, God, what's your heart for this person? God, what, how can I show this person your mercy and your compassion? And I think one of the reasons I was really struck by that kind of passage in Micah 6 where it says, where God tells us that he requires us to love mercy, is because I did think it should be so obvious to us, but it really isn't. There are so many people in the Bible who didn't love the mercy of God. So Jonah's a classic example. God asked him to go to Nineveh and warn the people of his judgment, and Jonah ran away. Jonah went in the opposite direction, and sure, I'm sure you know the story. He was swallowed by a, um, a big fish, and there he asked God to show mercy to him, and God did show mercy to him. And then he ended up going to Nineveh, and when he told the Ninevites that God's judgment was coming, they repented and they turned to God. And what Jonah says to God is, I knew you'd do this. That's why I didn't want to come here, because I knew you'd show them mercy. And Jonah was angry at God. Even though Jonah had just been shown mercy from God himself, when God showed it to other people who Jonah didn't think deserved it, Jonah got angry. Um, And likewise, when we read a story about the prodigal son, we see that the older brother in that story is outraged that the father welcomes the prodigal son back. And then we see the Pharisees who hang out with Jesus, hang around with Jesus, and they're like, why are you being kind to that person? Why are you hanging out with that person? Don't you know what that person's done? And again, they don't want Jesus to show mercy to people because they don't think they deserve it. And even the disciples, two of the disciples had the nickname from Jesus, the Sons of Thunder. Imagine Jesus giving you that nickname. I don't think... um, you know, if Jesus gives you a nickname, it's kind of going to be an accurate assessment of who you are, isn't it? So these guys were called the Sons of Thunder. And they were called that because they did things like they said, oh, these people aren't repenting. Should we call down thunder, um, fire from heaven to burn them all up? And Jesus is like, no, how long have you been hanging out with me? That is not the way we do things. But I think there are so many examples in the Bible of people who don't love mercy, of God's people who don't love mercy, that we need to ask ourselves a question, do I really, really love mercy myself? And let me read you a story. Um, this is about a serial killer in America. Um, I'll, I'll read you the story. So it says, notorious American serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer was convicted of viciously torturing and mutilating at least 11 kidnapped victims. Um, he cut up their bodies. He stored bits of their bodies. He ate bits of their bodies. I mean, it was pretty outrageous and disgusting crimes 
He was completely cold and expressionless during his trial. He voiced no remorse or repentance for his actions. The jury and the public hated him and wanted him to face death by the electric chair, but instead he was sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. A few years into his prison term, he was visited by some Christians who, over a period of time, helped him to see the corruption of his soul through his early exposure and then his addiction to pornography. Dharma deeply repented of his former life and he came to believe in Jesus Christ as the only one who could reverse his depravity and save him. He became a Christian and he was baptised. Later, he went public with his new perspectives on his crimes in the sincere and strong hope of deterring others from ever repeating them. The surprising news of his conversion became widely known and it was vilified as a cheap shot that was done just to get public sympathy. The media went into a frenzy of protest and angry reporting. One headline asked the question, who is responsible for this outrage? And the answer, of course, is God. It was God's idea to save Jeffrey Dahmer. But the story of one of the world's worst and most cold-blooded killers causes us to ask the question whether someone like a Jonah lurks somewhere in our hearts as well. And I think what's really interesting about that story is we think, like, wow, God can save someone that depraved. God can save someone that far from him. Like, God's mercy must be amazing. But even in the way we talk about a story like that, I think it shows that we perhaps don't grasp how much mercy was required to save us. Because it took God the same amount of mercy to save me as it took him to save Jeffrey Dahmer. And so when I'm reluctant to show mercy to other people because I'm looking at their behavior, so often it's because I've forgotten how much mercy I needed, how much mercy it took for God to rescue me, and the fact that God did it no matter what I did. Um, A few years after I became a Christian, I backslid for about five years. And during that time, I often asked the question whether God would take me back. And I think I always knew that he would, but I thought that's outrageous. God shouldn't take me back because I don't deserve it. And it's true. I didn't deserve it, but I was getting the kind of question the wrong way around. God didn't take me back because I deserved it. God took me back because he's merciful and he's kind, and that's what he does because it's who he is. And I think so often for us, I just worry sometimes that even as Christians we so buy into what society tells us and what the media tells us that we ask the wrong question that our starting place is so often will you change your behavior if I help you or do you deserve my help what have you done to earn it or what are you going to do differently if I help you this time next time and that's just never God's starting place God's starting place is always based on who he is and so I think Just to kind of finish, I just want to remind us that it is these two things. The reasons we show mercy to people around us, whether they're criminals who've committed horrendous crimes like Jeffrey Dahmer, whether they're people who come into our food banks or soup kitchens, whether they're people who are just really broken and damaged people who we think, I don't even really know how to help you. Instead of asking, um, do you deserve my help? Or should I show you, um, should I be generous to you? Should I be compassionate to you? I think for the Christian, our starting place, first and foremost, the question we should be always asking, first and foremost, is to anyone who's in front of us at any particular time, how can I most show you the love, the kindness, the mercy, the compassion, the grace of God today? What can I most do to show you the kindness of God? And I think so often I worry that in my own heart I start in the wrong place. 
And I want to increasingly be someone who, just like God, just like Jesus, can be merciful because my Father in heaven is merciful. Not based on what someone does or doesn't do. Not even based on whether they're grateful or whether they turn to Jesus as a result. But based purely and simply on who God is and who he's made me to be as someone who bears his image and can reflect him to others around me. So I'll finish there. But I would love to pray for you guys. So I don't know if if we can just stand. Um, Like I say, I'm happy to hang around and take any questions, if anyone's got any afterwards. But it'd be great to pray. I think particularly if you feel like God's spoken to you for anything I've said, if you want to like raise your hands um, and just ask God to to meet with you. Um, There's a prayer team here as well. So... um, I'll pray for all of us, and then anyone who wants to go, feel free to go. But then I think if you specifically want prayer, there's a prayer team, and we can pray for you individually as well. So, yeah, Father, we're just so thankful that your starting place is mercy, that you've not looked at us and said, do they deserve it or have they earned it? But you've just given us mercy that we didn't deserve, that we could not earn. Thank you that we live as people who know your unmerited favor on our lives. We know a love that we don't deserve to know. And thank you that you just keep pouring it out no matter what we do, no matter where we go, no matter how much we take our gaze off you, you keep giving us mercy and grace and you keep loving us. And would you help us to do the same to others around us? I pray particularly um, that if there are people that we dislike or that we find it difficult to be kind to, if there are people who you've brought to mind, even from our own churches or youth groups, people that we maybe avoid when we're in church meetings, or people that we cross the street to avoid when we're out. I pray you'd help us to show them mercy and kindness. And I pray that you'd bring new people across our paths and give us an opportunity to reflect you, Jesus, to be merciful just as our Father is merciful to those around us. I pray that we would increasingly be people who genuinely love mercy, not just when it's shown to us, but when it's shown to other people as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for coming. Like I say, if anyone's got questions, feel free to come up and talk to me. But if you would like prayer, the guys in the red caps are available and can pray for you. Um, So please hang around. Please get them to pray for you specifically if God's spoken to you about stuff. That would be great. Sorry, this is my friend Hannah. Sorry, I just feel God's been um, speaking to me as Natalie's been talking. I've got a feeling that there's some of you here and you kind of think, why did I end up coming to this this afternoon? I could have been outside doing water sports or, you know, playing back with my friends and having fun, just chilling. But I just think this afternoon could be quite key for you in what God wants to do for your future. And I'm just looking around the ages of some of you. You're at that kind of age where it's quite pivotal. You might be thinking about going to university or getting a job soon. And today is significant for you because God wants to really capture your heart with what's on his heart. And he wants you um, really to be caught up in that and, and to, to not worry about your own dreams and ambitions, but to just focus on him and his glory. And I was thinking as we drove up all the way from Hastings just this morning, and God just reminded me of when a lane in a motorway is shut, if you're stuck amongst those roadworks, actually inside it, in the construction, you're not going fast like all the other cars are zooming past you. And I think God wants to put some of you in that construction place at the moment. And all the traffic is going past and all your friends are getting with their life and they know what they're doing and they're going off and doing this, that and the other. God's got you right there because he's working. He's fixing. He's changing things. He's got you in that construction site. And it's not going to be forever, but it's for a purpose. And he wants to do work in your heart this afternoon because of the future purpose that he's got for you. Um, 
so yeah I just think you know it's quite a, a powerful time for some of you today and and go away pray about it see what God's got and um, see if he wants to really speak about what what's ahead for you and, and where your future lies if anyone wants to um, respond to that specifically or you just think actually God's really spoken to you and you just want prayer to kind of seal it to not just walk away and kind of you know we can so easily do it forget it and then you know there'll be the next thing you hear and the next thing but if you feel you want God to seal something in you or you respond to what Hannah's just brought then why don't you come and hang over in this corner of the room where there's a lot of people with red caps who can just pray for you and um, hear a bit about what you want prayer for and then yeah just minister to you that'd be great thank you very much for coming and um, it's been great to have you here thanks